So if you'd like to follow along for the scripture reading this morning, it's on the back of your bulletins, or please open your Bibles, or up on the screen. Uh, And that scripture is Philippians 1, 1 through 11. Uh, So please read with me. Philippians 1, 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, so all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Please pray with me. Uh, Dear Lord, thank you for this morning. Uh, Thank you for this church community, Lord. Um, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be upon us this morning, that it would be here in this tent with us um, and dwell richly in each of our hearts, uh, that you would make us receptive to the message that you will deliver through Brian this morning, uh, that you'd give him boldness and wisdom and insight, um, that you'd soften our hearts to hear uh, your message uh, and to be challenged um, and drawn out by your word. Uh, Please bless this community with the spirit of joy. as we enter uh, this spring season, we look forward to um, these sunny days to come. So Lord, I thank you so much for grace and for salvation. Uh, we lift you up this morning, and we honor you this morning. And we pray these things in the holy name of Christ. Amen. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I hope you burns a building down splits a family in two, puts people on the streets. Splits families in two, puts people on the streets, burns building down, buildings down. And at the end, it repeats this over and over again, why can't we give love one more chance? And one of the reasons why that song is so um, popular and recognizable is because it's something we all relate to. It doesn't matter how old you are, that the pressures of life or something that we all understand and we wrestle with that. And what it often does is it pushes us into isolation and, 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 and into loneliness. And how do we deal with this? How do we deal with life, the pressures of it? Uh, we all know that about a week ago, David Boy passed away. And let me just read something. This is, um, this is about eight to 10 years ago, what he writes later on in his life. He says this, My priority is that I've stabilized my life to an extent over these past 10 years that feels healthy and comfortable to me. I'm at ease and I like it. I never thought I would be such a family-oriented guy. I didn't think it was part of my makeup. But somebody said, as you get older, you become a person you always should have been. And I feel like that's happening to me. I'm rather surprised at who I am because I'm actually like my dad. That's a shock. The years really speed by. 
Life really is as short as they tell you. And there really is a God. He says this, if there's a 50% chance there isn't one, referring to God, and there's a 50% chance there is, why not just believe in Him? In 1975, he wrote this, I felt totally and absolutely alone. And I probably was alone because I pretty much had abandoned God. Uh, whatever your opinions are of, uh, of David Bowie and, and uh, that song, he actually, he's obviously identified something that connects to all of us. That how do we deal with the pressures of life? How does that, how does that affect us? And so this morning, we want to look at Philippians and look at God's Word and, and try to think carefully, think honestly about our lives and, and how we deal with pressure and how it pushes us towards isolation, how it pushes us towards uh, loneliness. And so we'll look at God's Word and we'll find this, that God's solution to dealing with isolation, God's solution to dealing with loneliness is that we develop friendships that have Jesus Christ as the common core. And I'm going to show you that from God's Word, and, and we'll explain that. So if you have your Bible, turn to uh, Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. We're just get going in this. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 1, if I can find it. It says this. <clears throat> Paul writes out by saying this, that he has a sincere friendship with these people. <clears throat> Here's the context. Paul is this. He's a long ways away from this church. This church is a, a small little town called Philippi, and he's writing to them. He's in jail. He's under house arrest, and he writes to them to explain to them how much he actually cares for them. And so what we can um, pull out this morning is we can understand and help us deepen our understanding of what does it really mean to be a friend to somebody? What does it really mean to reach out to people who are feeling isolated, who are feeling alone, who want to share life. And here's what he says. If you look, <clears throat> look at verse 5, it says this. Because of your partnership in the gospel. And he repeats that again later in verse 7 where he talks about participating together. That there is a togetherness towards their lives. And at the center of it is Jesus Christ. And so the hope, the ultimate hope for our isolation, for our brokenness, for our loneliness is that we have connections with people, that we have authentic friendships with people that have a three-way bond. It's Jesus Christ, you, and people in your life that are your sincere friends. And so he builds upon this idea that there is a partnership in life. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, do you have that? Do you have friends in your life? Do you have partners in your life? Do you have people in your life where you have that common core relationship that we find in Jesus Christ? <clears throat> of course, we have friends in the world that are good friends. We all have friends who are not Christians, and those are good friendships we have. But do you have people in your life that love Jesus Christ the way you do? And when we have that, certain things will appear in our lives. Okay, and let me just make a short list here of some observations that when we have 
Christ at the center of our friendships, certain things will appear. <clears throat> Number one is this, is that Paul has long-term friendships. Paul has long-term friendships. In Acts chapter 16, I won't turn there this morning, but Acts chapter 16 is the story of when Paul first goes to Philippi. And it's really interesting, and he meets people there for the very first time, and he meets three different people. Number one, he meets uh, a woman, a wealthy businesswoman who's very successful. She um, um, sells cloth. The Bible says that she's into textiles, and, and she's profitable in her business. He meets her. Then he meets another woman, a young slave girl, who's actually demon-possessed, demon-possessed, and she's owned by some guys, and they hire and sell her out to tell people's future. And then there's a, sla uh, uh, a man who works in a jail. And so Paul is there, he's preaching the gospel to people, and he has these long-term friendships with them. And we need to think about this for a second, because... It's so easy just to go to something new and something great, something fun. But Paul is saying this, when you, when you have Jesus Christ as the center of your life and you join together with other people, that will produce long-term friendships. Do you have that in your life? So, number one, uh, a Christ-centered friendship with people will produce long-term friendships. Number two, Paul says this, that you won't give up on people. Look at verse 6, it says this. And I am sure of this. It says this, he, Paul is very confident of this one thing he's going to say. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you right now, one of the hardest things in friendships is not giving up on people. And you have to understand this. You have to be confident in your relationships with people in this, that God is working on them that he is the one that's working, that he is the one that's shaping their life, that he is the one that's helping them grow. And you can't give up on people. I'll tell you, it is so easy. And we, this is, here's human nature. Someone will do something to offend you, and they go to like the bad list. And that person's almost impossible to get off the bad list. Once they've done something to offend you, it, it happens to me, and I, I was at a Starbucks not too long ago, and there's a, a, a semi-homeless guy that I've gotten to know, and he was really, really mean to another guy who was in a worse shape than him. And I saw him even this morning, and I thought I had to think for a second, like, man, that guy is still on the bad list. And we have to remember that God is working in people's lives, that he's not giving up on people, that it is his job and his responsibility to grow people up. It's not our responsibility to nag people and hassle people. It's to know this, be very confident of this that God is working on people, and you can't give up on people. You have to believe the best in people. And it's very challenging because we naturally notice the flaws of people. The natural way of thinking about the Christian life is this, is that we become a Christian, and then it's up to us to work really, really hard to make ourselves acceptable to God. And God says this, Paul says this in the letter, no, that God is the one that's at work in your life. So, the pressures of life, whatever stage of life you're at, the pressures of life often lead us to isolation, to loneliness. And Paul is saying this. He's, he's giving us an example of how he wants us to live. That when you have people in your life that are focused on Jesus Christ, it will produce long-term friendships 
it will change your attitude and understand that you can't give up on people, that God is working their lives. And next, number three is this, is that you actually genuinely care. Verse seven says this, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart that you are partakers with me of grace. And then if you look down, he says this in verse 8. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you, for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul actually, actually has the affections of his heart connected to the people, that he genuinely loves them and cares for them. This is the mark of genuine friendships that we're learning about from Paul and this church called at Philippi. And the main overall thing is this, is that Paul is thankful that he has people like this in his life. And we have to ask ourselves, are you that kind of person? Are you that kind of friend? Are you long-term friend? Are you believing the best in your friends? Do you genuinely care about your friends? Paul is challenging us to think this way. That's part one. And then part two says this, starting in verse nine. He says, and it is my prayer. Here's the action part. Here's the, here's the, the, the part this morning that I'm going to ask you to consider to think about doing. Think about this as we continue in thinking about gospel-centered friendships. Will you think about somebody in our church? Will you pick one person and pray for them? Besides someone in your own family, yes, I hope, listen, I hope we're all praying for our spouses. If you're married, we're praying for our kids. But outside of that, will you think about one person in our church family that you'll pray for and just commit to praying for one week? Commit to praying for them. Because here's what Paul is saying this that gospel-centered friendships will do this, is that they will pray for each other. And this is, the, this is the true test of gospel-centered friendships, if you're praying for people. And prayer is probably one of the hardest things to do. And then when we do pray, it's often related to ourselves. And, and there is obviously the right place and time that we're praying for ourselves. But Paul is saying this, to be a part of a healthy community, to be a part of a church family that is growing in grace and growing in healthy relationships, that we're praying for each other. And here's what he, say, here's what he says, that we all need to grow spiritually, that we need to grow and become better friends, and it happens through prayer. It happens through prayer. Well, what do we pray? And here's, here's where Paul answers this question. Pray this. Verse 9. That your love may abound more and more. That our love for each other will grow. That we'll get to know each other and we'll understand each other. And here's, let's think of it this way. The commonness of this word love often blurs the meaning of it. Let me read this from one commentary I read this week to help us understand when I say we're to pray for each other and we're to pray for each other that our love will grow for one another. Here's what I mean. A strong, non-romantic affection that has regard for a person and their good 
has regard for a person and their good viewed through God's moral character, uniquely characterized by a willingness to give up rights or privileges on another person's behalf. I'll say this one more time. Characterized by a willingness to give up rights and privileges on another person's behalf. That's what Paul is saying. We want to end isolation and loneliness within our church? Develop gospel-centered friendships. Develop long-term friendships. Genuinely care about people. Believe that God is the one that's responsible. God is the one that's growing people up. But then you do have a responsibility. We do have an action plan to do, and that is to pray for one another, that love may grow. And what that does is it actually points to God's character. It shows us what God is actually like, that God is a kind, good, loving God. And we know this because Paul writes over and over and over again. It's a major theme of his. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 says this, that their love would increase and overflow. If you have your Bible, turn for just a minute to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a common passage, but let's try to understand it a little bit in its context. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when Paul says that he wants love to, uh, to abound, that it will overflow, that it will keep growing. All right, here's the context. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Corinth was a divided church. It's, it's another community of believers, and it's divided. There's um, factions, and so Paul is trying to write to them and help them understand how he wants them to live. All right, and here's what he's doing. He's literally throwing these little spiritual hand grenades. He's throwing these bombs to try to get people to wake up, to understand what's really going on. Okay? So, number one bomb that he throws is this. You can be a really talented person. You can be a professional-looking Christian and not know Christ. You can have a, an outward, charismatic, dynamic personality and do these amazing things, but not know Christ. Look what he says. If I speak of the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy clang and a, a, a clanging cymbal. And he says things like this, if I have faith to remove mountains, that means you're the super charismatic Christian, but you don't have love, you're nothing. He's putting the highest priority on love. Look at verse, skip down a little bit and look at verse 10. It says this, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put away childish ways. So Paul is identifying here that you can have an outward persona, but if you don't have love, nobody cares. It doesn't matter. Here's how he explains this or defines this. It's not about the spectacular. It's not about being driven by emotion. He defines spiritual immaturity this way. Think about this for a second. And, and I'll be honest with you. Uh, the advantage of studying all week is this kind of wrecks you for several days. All right? So, because this fits. Spiritually immature people have a short attention span. Spiritually immature people have a short attention span to the spiritual things of the world. Where the focus is on spectacular, where the focus is on emotions only, where the focus is on short-term, 
it's contrary or it's a contrast to what Paul is writing about, about gospel-centered friendships that are long-term, that are centered on Jesus Christ. If you think about it for this for a moment, I was thinking about it this week. Uh, the first movie that I ever saw was Star Wars. I was probably six or seven years old. And as a six or seven-year-old, I sat there through the whole movie and completely loved it. Several years later, I was 13 or 14 years old, and I tried to watch Chariots of Fire. All right? And if you, you'd have to be a little bit older to maybe even know about the movie Chariots of Fire, but it's a, actually a great story, a great movie, and I died. I think I got 10 minutes into it because nobody died, nobody was shot, there's no, nothing exciting. But my point is this. Of course, we're all built and wired differently and some of us have longer attention spans. And I understand, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is a spiritual understanding of love that has an enduring patience, that has an enduring understanding and has an endurance to it. And here are the words that should have endurance in our lives. Love is This is verse 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Love is patient. It's kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things and hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. Loving people are really hard to fight with. Really hard to pick a fight with. Spiritually immature people, really easy to fight with. Easily offended. Going back to Philippians for a moment, Paul is saying this, that he is so thankful that he has friends in his life that are long-term friends. And he says this, I am going to commit to pray for you. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you that your love will grow. That you will no longer see yourself at this, as the center of attention. That you will love people. That you will give up rights and preferences and privileges for the well-doing of other people. <clears throat> he writes about this later in the book. In chapter 2, he'll say this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but consider others more important than yourselves. So if we want to pray for each other, we want to pray this, that our love for one another will grow. And literally, it's the word of overflowing. So it's going to grow, and pray that it'll grow some more, and more, and more, that it will be overflowing, so that people will not be isolated, so that people won't feel lonely, because I guarantee this, that that, is, that exists in our church. That exists in any church. That people feel isolated and alone. But as love grows, that will diminish. He goes on and says this. He adds love and then he adds the word knowledge. And, and Paul is talking about this, that our understanding of who God is will grow. Pray for each other that we will grow in our understanding of who God is. Pray that we will have a desire. Pray that we'll have a desire for God's Word. That that's what will happen in our lives. You need knowledge and you need love. Paul clearly writes this, that knowledge alone, knowledge of God without love, is waste. It's, it's, not, no, it's meaningless. Unless you're able to love people. It's one of the hardest things to do. 
Here's what, here's what people want. People want community. People want friendships. People want to be loved and accepted. But are you willing to do the hard work of it? And it is hard to love people. Sometimes people are really quite prickly, right? They're cold and hard, and they're very challenging to love. And the only way you can love cold, hard people is first receive the love of Christ, and you understand how unworthy you are and you're able then to pass it and share it to other people. He says this, pray for discernment, the ability to understand how relationships work, the, to understand how you connect love and knowledge together and apply those to people. Paul, Paul is appreciative, he's thoughtful, he's thankful, his life is filled with gratitude because these are the people that he has in his life. And then he says this, here's what it will lead to. We have the so that statements, verse 10. So if people are praying that love will grow, love for each other, if people are praying that we will increase our understanding of who God is, if, if we're praying that we'll grow in discernment, making wise choices, here's what will happen. So that you may approve what is excellent, that your life will be pure and blameless, that there will be an innocence to your life, a purity of your life, a simplicity to your life. Verse 11 says this, filled with fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, so that your life will be productive, that things will appear in your life that push towards unity, that push towards healthy relationships instead of being divisive or hurtful. The idea of pressure, pushing down, of dividing families in two, will win. Listen, that life is so difficult and so challenging that the pressures of it will do that unless unless we understand how important it is to have gospel-centered friendships, to have people that are praying for you. We cannot survive, we cannot exist, we cannot grow and thrive as a church into the future unless people are praying for one another. Unless you make a commitment to pray for somebody, that they'll grow in love, that they'll grow in their understanding of who God is, to push towards a purity of life, a simplicity of life, an innocent life, a fruitful life. That's what we all want. Let's pray. Father, we ask your Holy Spirit to be here this morning to, to open our hearts and minds, to think carefully um, about who you are and how much you love us. Father, uh, we're reminded of the words of... Uh, another musician this week that said, uh, you better let somebody love you before it's too late. And those words touch our hearts equally. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning whose heart is cold and shut off from friendships, that you would warm their hearts and open their lives to grow deeper with people to live out this Christian life together. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.